It has never been easier to start a new business that reaches millions of customers. And now people are creating amazing startups outside of Silicon Valley. But starting a company doesn't equal success. In this podcast, we dive into how founders across the southeastern United States are succeeding, why they fail, and everything in between. Welcome to Startup Pivot Scale. I'm Arnab Chakraborty, co-founder and chief technology officer of Flow MedTech. I'm Edwin Williams, founder and CEO of Zenhammer. And I'm David Nelson, co-founder of Brewfund. And we are entrepreneurs in the Northeast Tennessee region who have started companies and in industries from medical devices to software with almost 30 years of combined experience. Today, we're going to be talking about the elusive startup pivot. Uh, we thought it'd be kind of important to discuss what a pivot really is before we really get into the discussion. And I kind of go back to the lean startups definition of it, because I think it's one of these things that startups tend to not fully commit to or truly understand. And so the official definition of a pivot is actually to stop what you're doing, rethink your entire business and go a completely different direction. And so sometimes where this falls short is you'll see a startup will have an idea they're, they're going with along with their product and they think, well, this isn't really working and I'm plateaued or I can't quite seem to get enough customers. And they say, well, I'm just going to add this to it. And so they add this other component to it and they go, well, maybe we'll come back or maybe this other component will make this more valuable. And so they kind of start doing both. And then if those two don't start working, they add a third and a fourth, but they love to say, oh, we did a pivot. But when you look at some of the most successful pivots at all time, like Odeo uh, that turned into Twitter, or you look at uh, Slack, which was an entirely different company and then the Slack um, communication app turned into an entirely new business. Those were truly successful pivots. And so when we're talking about pivots, you're going to notice even in our own discussions that we, we all have our own definition of it. And that's also okay. Even though that's the traditional piece, you're going to hear this word used a lot. And that's really what we thought we'd talk about today. I think Edwin, you have a great discussion, a great um, experience with doing a pivot. And so can you tell us what it was like going from Perserbid to Zenhammer? Perserbid was a two-sided platform connecting homeowners and contractors uh, to find jobs, and we'd handle the payments through escrow and milestones. Long story short, that didn't work out. We were about to call it quits, and David, several contractors, several people who advise us were like, hey, you've got something here. Look at the contractor side. The contractors were like, hey, we really want this very specific type of product that's not on the market, David said, hey, what if we do this? And he was describing exactly what the contractors were now asking for. And so we decided to basically rebrand and go a different direction by chopping off the homeowner side of our platform and just focusing on the contractors and helping them manage their business. So, so Edwin, go back to why did you think Persibid wasn't going to work? What, what made you start thinking that direction? There was a problem with, it wasn't that we didn't have jobs. The contractors on our platform were already too busy. We had homeowners posting jobs on the site. The technical issues aside, the idea itself had a supply demand issue where we had contractors who were good on our platform. Because they were good, they were already backed up three, six months. And when a job was posted, they couldn't service that job. And homeowners don't want to wait three, six months to get a home improvement project done. It led to a lot of people being upset and we decided to just let the platform 
die and pivot. It's interesting to kind of hear your uh, perspective now that you've made the pivot for a while now. Um, it, it sounds like it. you realize that the core problem of Perserbid wasn't that it wouldn't accomplish what it could, what it was designed to do. That was, that was going to happen. Yeah, there were a couple of technical issues, but if you kept going that direction, it was going to function 100%. You mm-hmm. just started thinking it wouldn't actually be, it wouldn't solve a court need. Is that a good summary? Like, is that a good... Yes. Describe that. Okay. Yeah. And and so then I know we had conversations about it and described it, but really part of that history is we were looking at possibly helping on some of the software development side. And I remember just kind of feeling that same tension from you of, you know, we're doing this. It seems like a great idea, but it, the traction we're we're getting it on one side, not the other. But then you were just doing a lot of the discussion of these are the problems, these are the things. I think we I appreciate the credit, but I think most of what I did is just point out what you were saying to me. Um, but I do remember having this innate fear personally of telling my friend, which I love giving honest, true, hard questions and feedback, but saying, I'm not sure this is the problem you should be solving and thinking you were going to hate me for it. So <laughs> I knew what that, that could mean. I mean, you had this moment, that could be everything that could just be the yeah. end of it all, right? <laughs> were you afraid when it came down to it, that that was the end or were you already thinking of the next thing? Oh, um, how nervous were you during that time? Oh man, I was nervous. There's another uh, podcast, uh, Voice of Bold Business, where I was interviewed about this exact feeling. It was, it's one of the worst feelings I've had, honestly. I felt like the world was crashing down. I knew Perserbid couldn't continue forward. Here I was in my head, like, everything's over. What am I going to do? It's like, yes, I have other ideas, but in my head for new products, new um, inventions, stuff like that. But in the moment of, you're like, well, all this that I've been working on for the last couple of years is coming to an end. That is a hard feeling. It's like you're sick, you're nervous, you can't sleep. But the good thing was, was that the contracting community, they were all like, no, 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 no. It's not that you're wrong. You're close, but you missed it. And I was like, okay, guys, what do you really need? And then that's when they started saying, here's my dream platform. My, their dream platform was described to me. David on the other end was saying, basically the same thing. He's like, nobody's really doing this. As we moved to the pivot, I was hearing basically the same things from the contractors, from some advisors, from David. And when the contractors mapped out their dream program, I looked and I was like, well, I don't see it in the market. It's going to take us a little bit of time to get there. We decided to do the pivot. And when I came up with the name, well, I was going to say, sorry to cut you off again. I think, uh, there's another aspect to this is it's worth mentioning that you had a team, like you had some co-founders and people working with you. Yeah. Were you nervous telling them this or were you guys at a point oh, I was, where you thought yeah. it well-received? Yeah, very nervous. I was <laughs> nervous a, telling them that too. Because like, you're a single founder, it's, oh, everything's yeah. great. But when you have a, a team, you have to go <laughs> tell them, hey, I, I, I've sold you all on this idea. And now I think we should do something completely different. I know, yeah. you know, or, or mostly different. Uh, yeah, that was tough. Because like they put money in as well and we put in time. And now here we were, basically, all our previous investment and time is basically worthless because we didn't salvage any of the code. We have all our business contacts from before, which is worth, is worth a lot. When I told them, it was like quiet at first. And then there was a nod. They're like, actually, that's a really smart idea. It didn't go over as nowhere as bad as I thought. They actually were even more, they came back and they ended up re-energizing everybody. It was good to feel after we decided to we talked and had that decision to end Perserbid and pivot to Zenhammer. It was like we were all re-energized on this new project. 
did you feel like you were like starting over from scratch? Oh yeah. I, mean, I felt like I was starting over from scratch because we were outside of the connections we made. We were literally building a new business model, new tech stack. I, I'm, I'm going to challenge that though. I, I would actually argue you guys were not starting completely over. I think it feels that way. And I totally understand that, but I think it's worth pointing out that you guys took all of this past this previous knowledge. You had all these connections. I mean, the pivot didn't just come out of nowhere. It was no, talking right. to your customers and people in right. the marketplace that you then had to form even stronger relationships with because they helped you make this pivot. And so while it felt like maybe it's new technology, new product, new things like that, but like you really went from an idea that I wouldn't say it was bad to pursue, but it was, you were probably just a little bit headed down the wrong path without really knowing it. And that, as that became obvious, you took all of that knowledge and know-how and experience on doing that right into the pivot. So you weren't starting from scratch. You were starting from, it's not step one, maybe step you know, 100. Yeah. But you really <laughs> wanted to be in a step a million, right? So it's, I get the yeah. feeling of it, but it's, it's not, I mean, there's, you brought a lot to it. Yeah. I do want to say the name Zenhammer, we didn't pick that name. Um, the contractors did. It was one of those things where I was like, all right, I'm going to build this for you. You're going to name it. Brainstormed a bunch of names, pushed it out. Basically, we had a couple rounds of filter and everybody picked Zenhammer basically unanimously. So we were like, all right, that's the name we're going with. And so that's how Zenhammer came about. That's cool. Like, I think it's, you know, just and just to give everybody a little bit of backstory, though, if you haven't heard of it, Perserbid was a marketplace, right, for anyone that was a homeowner that needed to post jobs. And then it was like the other side of the marketplace was for contractors to help them find jobs. And need more jobs you made this full pivot you created zen hammer and how would you explain what zen hammer is zen hammer is uh basically a, a project management platform for contractors to manage their business better um the there's like a big long-term goal strategic goal uh platform that was laid out to us um that we're working towards but the idea is Contractors, uh, the demographic of contractors in a way is shrinking and we are compared to the amount of homeowners and homes that are needed. They are going to be overloaded with more and more work. And we identified a segment of the contractor market, the subcontractors, the smaller guys who do a lot of this work, but they don't have a lot of the tools to make it efficient. And as a result, they miss jobs they can't do as many jobs as they want to or need to. And they end up with a backlog where one contractor I know, he has people on waiting lists for up to a year before he can get to doing their kitchen. Um, and the average person doesn't want to wait a year. So if we help the contractors become more efficient, uh, more automated with how they manage their business, they can do more jobs and everyone gets happy. So that's what we are working on. I think it makes sense. I, I think you, you went from helping contractors get work when they're already too busy to helping them get the work done faster. And then that's its own platform that could scale up. Do you think there's in the back of your mind, do you ever have any thoughts that, you know, as in hammer grows that it might actually build eventually result in a marketplace like where was? Yeah. We've actually mapped out an entire new project management idea not project matter, like property management idea, where due to what we're working with on Zenhammer, we're realizing there's a lot of overlap with our long-term Zenhammer goals with property management. And so the idea is at some point in the future, once 
we get Zenhammer to the quote unquote completed stage um, where we're like, this is what we set out to build. We've built it. Then we will add the property management that will be its own subsidiary and it will be yin and yang of construction and property management and sure that's that's awesome I, I think i've seen it where it yeah you have this vision your vision has to really change to stay in business and that's yeah. the fear and everything goes into that and then you're building on this you know entirely different future but it's it may actually someday include what you're talking about I and mean, that sounds pretty cool to me arnab do you does that sound like a full pivot to you or what do you what do you think of it would you call that a pivot or what would you do I would call that a pivot. Our situation was a little bit different. For Flow MedTech, I, I spoke about it in an earlier episode. We actually started out creating a medical device for what's called atrial septal defects. It's a hole between the top two chambers of the heart, and um, it's a birth defect. And so this actually started out as a school project, and we got a lot of good feedback on it. So we decided everyone really liked our technology. Why not keep working on it? As we did that, we found out that we were told to do some market research. We were super anxious, you know, excited to form our own company and all that. And someone told us to slow down. And he said, you know, why don't you go out there and see if this is actually, there's a market for this technology. And so when we did that, we found out that even though people really liked our concept or technology, there wasn't a very large market. And so as we were talking to physicians, we found out that our technology could be better suited for what we're doing today, which is left atrial appendage closure to reduce the risk of stroke in people with atrial fibrillation or an irregular heartbeat. You know, we did a little bit more market research there, and it, it's, it's a different space. Before, we were working on a device, a solution for, you know, a birth defect, so a much younger population, and now we're going into trying to reduce the risk of stroke and an older population or the average age is maybe, you know, late 60s, early 70s. And so there's a lot of different things to consider. And we had to change our device design to be able to occlude or, you know, plug up the left atrial appendage, a a different part of the heart. To us, I feel like, I feel like that was somewhat of a pivot. I don't know if it's a traditional pivot, like, you know, what Edwin has done. But um, I think that you know, we had to change the device design, the technology to be able to fit the left atrial appendage. We had a different pathway to market to consider. Different people were involved in being able to advise us. Um, we had different physicians we needed to talk to, different types of engineers, et cetera. So to me, I thought that was a pivot. I, I, first of all, I love medical device companies because there's always enough words that I understand. And then there's enough words thrown in there that I'm like, man, I... I think I remember hearing that in a health class or on a, a TV ad for some medicine talking about a medical term that I should probably know. But it, it, it's just such a cool field where, it, I mean, it truly blows my mind when you start thinking about devices going into a certain chamber within the heart. And I, I also relate medical device companies to being like any sort of invention out there. I mean, they're all inventions, but there's, you know, there's a process, there's a market, there's all these different parts to it. And so anybody that has kind of an invention or medical device or something along those lines, something that's beyond a like software company. And so I do think the rules are different for them. You're talking about, you know, you, you're gung-ho, you're all excited. Somebody gets you to slow down a little bit and does a little more customer discovery. When you guys were all excited, like, I think we're going to turn this into a company and kind of comes up for you to say, yeah, this might work for you, but your market may not be good enough. 
what did that feel like? Did you guys hit that and think, oh, it's all over? Or was it just kind of, a, oh, well, let's find another avenue to go down? It was more like, oh, man, there's more work to do. <laughs> and <laughs> more you know, work to we do, were... but it wasn't the end. <laughs> no, it wasn't the end. And we never thought it was the end. It's, and we know like our advisors, they were advising us because they wanted the best for us. They wanted the best for the company. And they didn't want us to go down any wrong paths unnecessarily for too long and then realize years later that we should have been doing something different. We knew that people were advising us and telling us to do these things to help us better grow. And so although we were super excited and wanted to form the company immediately, there was a lot for us to learn. You know, we did need to understand the market better. We needed to know about, we needed just time to actually figure out how to form a company, how to put an LLC in place and what is all the important legal and all that sort of stuff too. So I think it was good for us. Um, I think if we would have formed that company back in 2013, um, I think we would have done it too early and it would have been a little bit unnecessary. And, you know, back then we were 21, 22 years old. And so there wasn't like a, oh man, we're failing. To me, failure, it was just like, I was right out of college. And so this was just another project I was working on. You know, it was just another school project I would spend night and day working on. And it, to me, if it didn't work out, it was like, I've, I've learned a lot and I can either put it on my resume and get a really good job somewhere, or I can use this experience to create a big, a better next startup or something like that, you know? And so to me, I didn't really have much risk back then in my mind. If today you found out, you know what, no one's going to buy this, like the market we've been pursuing this whole time, which I know is not true. But if you found out today that it was not going to be feasible and you had to change, would that be a scary time for you guys? Would that be a, like, what, what, what the heck are we going to do type moment? Or what would that mean to you today? Well, today, <laughs> deep, getting deep like, on, as in, start a pivot as scale in, today. You're talking about like, if we spent seven years working on this and then found out that, you know, it's not going to work or something, then I would probably be, yeah, I would be a little bit nervous. You know, I, I would wonder why didn't we figure this out earlier? You know, were people like, were we doing something wrong or were people giving us wrong advice or direction or what sure. for that? I would definitely question that. But um, I still have that same mentality where it's not really failing. You, you've, we've learned a lot through this process and so many different ways, learned about people, learned about partnerships, marketing, legal, business, financial, all this sort of stuff. And so I think our approach would be, okay, maybe it's not working for this, but what do we have where we can maybe change it? So do maybe another half pivot or something. It's like, how can we change this a little bit to make it what people need? Um, how can we use this technology maybe somewhere else in the body or something to make it successful? You know, I guess maybe that's probably the path we'd go down. Now, I love that you said that because I, I think that's where I'm going to make a, a statement here and you guys may agree and not agree. And, and again, this isn't a bad thing. It's just, you know, playing with syntax and definitions. I mean, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. But when I think of a pivot, I think of um, it's a at the early stage where you guys were. You guys were almost in the discovery period. You guys were almost trying to figure out what the market was. And so I almost would argue it was too early to be a true pivot. Now, can you call it a pivot? Sure, it doesn't matter. But I would argue it's a little too early because you figured it out before you really could make a decision. But later on, yeah. and, and it really the medical device space is so different too, though, because you guys have a set schedule and kind of you have a process you have to go through. There's a lot of work that happens before that. But today, if you had to go, okay, the, we're, this medical device is going to, instead of going in the heart, we're going to put it in somebody's knee. That seems like a true traditional pivot. 
Yeah. But I also think right. we're kind of splitting, I'm kind of splitting hairs on what the definition is. Uh, the only thing I would truly argue with is there's no such thing as a half pivot. I think that is where, especially in the software space, people do, they try to make half pivots and it's kind of like having one step in and one step out and they're just not really willing to commit to going down a different path. And if you think about the resources mm -hmm. you have to commit to supporting the software and customer service and everything you're already doing versus the new stuff you're trying to do is that's a very dangerous place to be. And that's why I'm very against anything that says half pivot. Probably the wrong that. term there. <laughs> no, that, that's just my opinion again. Remember, I'm not the, you know, lord of startups. <laughs> I, I just think it's, no. when I think of advice, I think of if you're true thinking pivot, you completely change. So did you completely change in the early stage? Yes, you did. So call it a pivot. Cool. I, I think that makes sense. Edwin's kind of followed a more traditional route. And I say mm -hmm. all this being a person that is currently kind of one foot in and one foot out on something. I'm not calling it a pivot yet. Not, I mean, at some point we got to make that decision, uh, but we can go to that and, and talk about that in a minute if we want, but it, it's, you know, I'm, I, I kind of try to figure out what the, what the best device is. And I think pointing people towards a truly traditional pivot model makes sense, but I love your story right now because it just shows there's a gray area and it really doesn't matter. It depends on does it does, did it work for you? And so I asked, did it work for you? It worked. I mean, we're doing pretty, you know, so far, we're so good, doing right? pretty well right now. Yeah. 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 I mean, at that time, even though it was early, you know, we had this proof of concept model, we had patents filed. And so to us, it seemed like a big change, but, you know, we didn't have other things to compare to either. Like we didn't have a Edwin where it's like you completely switch directions and do something different. Right. So in our minds, it kind of was like a, it was a big change for us, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so different and, and unique, you committed to that change. You said, well, you know what, we're not going to do this one and see if it works and do this one. And so, you know, maybe I'm talking myself back into it was a true pivot. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> do you, I would ask for, yes. in, your, sorry, in your opinion, do you think pivots are part of a quote unquote, like I'm putting, I'm making this up a sort of like how I see it, a subset of market um, where a company will develop a process or a solution for a market where let's say I had kept Perservant and done Zenhammer where that would not have been seen as a pivot, but you're just expanding your markets where, because we didn't continue both, it's called a pivot. Um, as do you consider a pivot, like a sliding scale along that where it's like, okay, the company really didn't pivot, but they did change their market segment. Um, I, you hear about this stuff in you know, medium articles and on blogs and podcasts all the time, right? Everybody's debating what a pivot was, or you may hear one person say, oh, we made this big pivot and added this new market to it. And I think that's where it's like, well, that's kind of missing the whole point of why the word pivot was origi originally kind of brought to the, you know, the table on the, I mean, it existed before then, obviously, but uh, in the lean startup, when they bring that to the startup world and they start describing it, the whole reason of that and the re all of the examples that go with it, the point of it was to make a very strong, strong cut. And a lot of, you know, the belief that I am learning, I get also from Masters of Scales, another great podcast, obviously. And, you know, they, they talk about very strong examples of this too. And I, I think it's a tool for early stage entrepreneurs to really be evaluating their business. And I think of it every day as there was an um, advisor for me that said, you have to ask yourself every day, are you creating a business? Are you, if you created a company or are you, are you just really having a really expensive hobby that you're putting together? 
And I, I think it's really easy with just time and money. You create an expensive hobby. That's your startup. But if you're actually creating a business, you have to be able to make these really hard choices. Sometimes you have these dreams of going down this path. And I think both of you highlighted that there's this kind of, oh, crap moment of what's going to happen next. Or you immediately just completely change all of your thinking and say, oh, we need to go down this path. And so to answer your question, I, there's always a gray area. I like to think of it and give advice to make the, make the pivot something special. But when you're adding a new market, maybe we're possibly expanding to Canada. That's not really a pivot to Canada. That may be our main focus for a while because of COVID and some other issues. And we have a greater opportunity there. But I wouldn't say I was pivoting to Canada because I'm still going to do United States-based work. And so I've expanded the market and maybe there needs to be a new term for that. But I, I kind of think typically scale or growth is usually um, used for that. What do you think? Yeah, I would, I would agree there. Um, you know, thinking about our situation too, it's like we're at a point in the company where, you know, due to COVID and stuff, we've had the opportunity to look at some other markets and some other focus areas. And so, you know, we've revisited the atrial septal defect market and, you know, seen, tried to figure out where is it now? Is it something that we could go back to and update a solution, update our solution, create a new solution for? We were thinking along the lines of that could be a way to expand the product portfolio of low med tech. You know, thinking about it that way, we, we, don't, we wouldn't be pivoting. We'd just be expanding and growing. And so it's interesting that you asked that question, Edwin. Yeah, it's something that I've been cons- thinking about um, coming up to this. In the tech world, we hear that a lot. A lot of times I'll see things where it's like, hey, we are doing a product for, I'm just making stuff up right now, dogs. And then we're pivoting to cats too, but they still have the dog market that they're actively growing. It's like, no, you just expanded your market. You didn't pivot. Had you dropped dogs altogether and gone to cats, that would have been a pivot. But in the same vein, that's a subset. Pivoting is a subset. Most pivots, I should say, are a subset of really redefining your market within a market segment you've already identified. Like if you look at Instagram, Slack, Twitter, um, I would say those are pivots. And let's take, let's take Amazon. Amazon started off with books that expanded to AWS. That I do not consider a pivot. Yes, AWS is most of their revenue now, but they still have their original core business that they that launched them to where they are today. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think it's just one of those weird things in the startup world where I remember when Lean Startup comes out and I, you know, actually one of my business partners at the time said, you know, you, you have to read this. Like it wasn't like, it was like, if I'm going to join him in this venture, that, that's part of the, you know, the requirement for me to join. And I, I'm a very slow reader. I just, I read every word. I, I check everything and I, you know, I've just, it takes me a long time and I get distracted easily. And that one I kind of flew through. And I remember just being like, this makes so much common sense. And the fact that the lean startup was built off of lean manufacturing and talks about Toyota and their process a lot. And how do you bring that to start of the software? And I can honestly say that book changed my entire approach to running a software consulting business and how we develop software and you know, using customer feedback and everything. But when that came out, it got so big. And the word that kind of came out of that was the word, there's all this great information. Everybody starts talking about pivot. And then it became like pivot was the new cool word to say. And it's gotten so ingrained into the sort of culture that it's like, you know, I'm creating proprietary algorithms with AI driven mechanics uh, during our latest pivot. We 
raised a series a you know round of funding and it's like what what are you even saying it doesn't even make sense at this point but it's all these catchphrases and machine it's just, learning and ai <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's all machine learning. Hit all the right buzzwords now. yeah it used to be a pivot but it was all machine learning and then <laughs> and before that it was like we have a lot of synergy remember the word synergy got big yeah oh, man yeah. Everybody's, synergy, oh, it's yeah. all about synergy we got to get worried about our synergy so then it became pivot then it became machine driven and AI. And, and so debating this, and the only reason I think it's worth really talking about the pivot is because it actually really is a, a principle in the startup world that can be very, very valuable. And I still think it's okay for it to be flexible on how it's used until it's used like Amazon pivoted you know, away from books. No, they didn't they still sell books. You know, it's, that doesn't make sense to me. And I think that obscures the message to early stage companies that could be sitting there thinking every day, Hey, this isn't working. Maybe I should, we should make a huge you know, change. Maybe we should pivot. I'm wondering if there needs to be another buzzword we come up with for something like <laughs> what Flow MedTech did or something. Because I, I feel like maybe, maybe you can't call it a pivot if later on you can go back and expand your company and your technology, your portfolio to include what you were initially working on. Yeah, for us, as an example, is it a pivot if you can still incorporate it in the company one day? Or does should a pivot be something so different where that would just be very difficult to do without maybe forming another company to do it. Right. You know, the, the example with Cuddle and Play-Doh, I, I don't think, you know, when they, when they created Play-Doh, they actually, I believe they created a new company to market Play-Doh. They didn't keep it under Cuddle, but they saw the opportunity there. And I think they pivoted using another company to do it. Yeah. They saw the writing on the wall. They knew that, you know, coal furnaces were going away because of a more efficient, better ways. If you, if you were looking at that and that was your market disappearing, what would you, what would you be doing? I live in a rural internet place. Maybe at some point I'll talk about how Comcast wanted to charge me $50,000 to run a line 250 yards to my house and no way in hell I'm going to pay that. <laughs> but I, you know, I've been in this rural internet world and I, I just didn't understand how complex and what the great opportunity that is. But as you start researching that, if I was HughesNet or Viasat, these are satellite internet providers, they have a you know, very strong delay in between your connection and the satellites that are very high in orbit. And they've been around for a very long, but it's just terrible. And it hasn't changed in decades. They've done zero. They've monopolized the market, had zero interest. And now they're complaining about SpaceX as putting in lower orbit satellites. And so I'm looking at this saying Viasat and HughesNet need to very quickly pivot because they're with the writing is on the wall, just like Cuddle. If they don't make a massive change and put a lot, I mean, every dollar they have back into reinventing their company, they are dead. There is no so, future for them. I'm going to challenge you on that really quick. Oh, go for is it. That a, is, is that a pivot or is that fall under better product market fit? Hmm. Well, see, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if the, I think the challenge, the reason I'm saying they should, they, ha they have to pivot to succeed is that I don't think they're in a position where they can all of a sudden create, engineer and launch thousands of satellite, low earth or low, low earth orbit satellites into space. The current technology is just going, I mean, it's just going to be worthless. If you, I mean, why would you, I ever pay for like a hundred dollars a month for like, you know, maybe, maybe 50 megabits per second, but only with a data cap of like a gig and you run out of that and you can only use it certain hours of the day. And once you hit your cap, it slows down below dial-up speeds, below DSL. So why would I pay for that if there's an alternative that's so much better that has zero data cap that is cheaper or even the same price or even more expensive, but I actually get good internet. Like mm -hmm. there's no way for me to play in that market. And so I'm wondering, should they switch completely to like GPS tracking, should they put in new satellites and do government okay, so communications? 
I think okay, they need to change the market because they're screwed. <laughs> yeah, I just misunderstood. I figured you were saying they need to pivot in order to compete with Starlink. You're saying move out that market because Starlink is going to basically pull a Netflix on Blockbuster. Oh, yeah, I truly think it's exactly the same thing. But I think, you know, the difference there is I think Blockbuster could have seen the writing on the wall and they could have been they could have said, you know what, this streaming thing is going to be good. Like we need to be in this like they were in the perfect position to dive into streaming or even putting up a little blockbuster, little like self-checkout things like Netflix started as because they they had the, the distribution. They had the ability to do that. They just didn't. They refused to think and accept the reality that stores, uh, video stores were going to go away and that the that was the first step. Right. So everybody started getting that not, not or, you know, Netflix rentals for DVDs. But the second piece Netflix was heavily investing in at the time was the internet side and streaming side. And Blockbuster missed out on both. They could have they could have skipped the, you know, use their stores as is and put all of their investment in the streaming side. And they would have been, we would all be talking about how we love Game of Thrones on Blockbuster right now. But they yeah. refuse to think that direction. And I think HughesNet and these satellite providers are doing the same thing. They're right now they're complaining about um that Starlink is not fast enough. They're complaining to the FCC as they compete for these bids that Starlink isn't fast enough when they are slower than Starlink. <laughs> so be like, what are you, what are you complaining about? Like they're better than like, Oh, my competitor is better than us. Like they're just so much better. And they're like, Oh, they're going to have trouble with the economies of scale. I'm like, isn't that the entire point of having 4,000 satellites wrapped around the earth, just obstructing our view of the stars. <laughs> I mean, that's, the whole point is that this does scale where HughesNet and um, these others, Viasat, like I just, I see zero future for them because it's not just Starlink. You have Blue Origin, yeah, you have all these others. others. And the European Union wants to create their own. Like this, the, the door has been opened. The writing is on the wall. These companies are just, uh, they're on, you know, buy, they're, they've bought time and they are about to go away. And that's terrible for people losing jobs, but at least they can all get hired at other you know, providers. Yeah. But to your point, Edwin, though, I think you also can consider how is this going to affect the cable companies like Comcast and others? Like, I think some people are like, Oh, they're going to, they're going to kill these, you know, Comcast and it's, it's not going to be fiber. Like it's going to force them out of the rural spaces, I think, yes. but they, they are going to be forced to focus on fiber to stay competitive. And so it's a, it's a really interesting market to me. Again, I'm on my soapbox about rural internet, but it's been a, that is, it's just been a story that's unbelievable. And when you have yeah. Comcast trying to charge you 50 grand to run a cable 250 yards to your house, you sit there and look into going, why, are, why is this world, this rural internet world so messed up? And it's just inaction by private companies. That's yeah. all it is. I do want to say, um, and it's related to a pivot, especially when you know something's not going well. I uh, binged watched uh, Dirty Money on Netflix, and there's a phrase in one of the episodes, I can't remember which one, where something was going wrong and the person said, always wrong, never in doubt. And that phrase, I know it's been bugging me for the last week uh, since I've uh, heard it because it describes uh, why a lot of startups actually end up failing where they'll see something and it's wrong. Either they identify it and don't do anything about it or they're so confident that their way is correct. They don't make that adjustment to do a pivot or change their business model um, and then end up failing. So I think that is a, uh, yeah, that's that, that phrase has been in the back of my mind now for a week since I've heard it. Yeah. I, there's a, one of my favorite shark tank episodes actually it was this guy that created this little scoop of um, it was like, it's, it was basically they've proved that he could scoop up sand to make sandbags faster. 
And it was a phenomenal idea, really. They did a little demo of one person scooping up and filling sandbags versus the typical team that show up with shovels and fill them. And I mean, it, it was something crazy. Like they were filling it like five times faster, five more, five times more sandbags <laughs> got filled. And it, it seemed like one of those like shoe in things where like I was kind of half watching it because it was like, oh yeah, this guy's got it in the bag. What happened next just kind of made me just roll my eyes because one of the sharks had said something like, oh, you know, this could be used in other markets too. This is great. I mean, you could use it to you know scoop up toys and, you know, put them in a bag or put them in a box or something. It'd help people with Legos and you know things with small pieces. You could just instantly clean up your room. And the the inventor of this product who'd had, he had it patented and everything else, his jaw just kind of hit the floor and he was appalled that they would actually suggest that this amazing invention that was built to save lives could be used to pick up Legos that was beneath him. And it was just the the pure sign. He sat there and argued with them until they all said they were out, that he wasn't, he wasn't teachable. He wasn't open to other ideas and that they knew they couldn't work with them. And it was like, it was so obvious. And, and I get that at the time he had built his entire world and his entire business around this idea. He was going to save lives. But when somebody comes to him and says, oh, you could also use this to pick up Legos. You need to be teachable and flexible and open. Yes, to going, absolutely. You know, that's a possibility. That's not a pivot, but it's also like, I got to be flexible and open to these other ideas and expansions because that could be a, even a bigger market that then funds your ability to save even more lives. But it's very easy Absolutely. for startups to be headstrong. They don't want to think that there's other uses or maybe they're wrong. Like challenging a startup like you're talking about, Edwin, is they get headstrong and they just do not do not want to you know think differently. But that is such a key part to just thinking, being critical. And don't forget, if you're up for money, the answer is Almost always, if you disagree, that's something we can definitely consider. We'll have to look into the, you know, the financial viability of that. That, you know, that's a very interesting idea. Mm -hmm. Don't just say, no, you're stupid. I'm here to save lives. Right. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think but, the interesting part about the pivot is that it is so you know, wide ranging. I love Edwin's story because it kind of gave us a traditional fit. Our NABs gave us a little bit of a uh, more interesting, you know, approach that it doesn't, it's not always cut and dry. And maybe that's what leads to a lot of this uh, different you know, mindsets and different ways we use the word, but I do think it's an important skill for people to learn. What do you, do you guys have anything to Absolutely. add? Absolutely. It's, it's a gray area and it kind of depends on the industry, the technology, the entrepreneurs. Um, but like you were saying, I think it's really important as entrepreneurs to be flexible, to be able to be willing to evolve your business, whatever you need to do to be successful and get what you have out there. You know, for Flow MedTech, our pivot, it, it led to some really great successes in where we are today. We were able to bring on board some amazing partners that helped us with marketing, business development, engineering. We ended up getting patents filed and granted. You know, our, our patent portfolio was increased, bringing on board investors. And so, it was a wonderful thing. And I'm so glad that we were open-minded and we we're flexible enough to shift direction into what we are doing today with left atrial appendage closure. Always pay attention to like the market around you where like for us, we realized we were literally running into a wall and we started freaking out. And the people around us, like the contractors, our advisors, our friends were all like, well, hey, look, You've got this, but there's a more, there's a segment here that's really, really open for you guys. Take that and pay attention because sometimes a door closes and another even bigger one opens. And if you're not looking for it, you'll blow right by it and miss it. We look forward to you joining us next time on Startup Pivot Scale. We'd also love to hear from you. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting platform. 
For episode transcriptions, past episodes, or to learn more about this podcast, connect with us at startuppivotscale.com or at startuppivotscale on social media. This podcast is brought to you by Founders Forge, a 501c3 nonprofit that is dedicated to the underdog entrepreneurs of the Appalachian Highlands and helping them on their startup journeys. We do this by holding high impact events, building a vibrant startup community, and through one-on-one coaching for startups. Learn more at foundersforge.com.